All right, it's the uh, Chance of Gaming podcast, episode 42, The Meaning of Life Itself. The Meaning of Life, but what is the question? Uh, with me always is Roy. Hello. 95% of the time is Richard. Hey, and we're, uh, we're bringing that number up with every episode I record. <laughs> My batting average is going up. I'm still going to be ahead. That's, That's true. true, unless I can... I don't know. Arranged for me to have an accident? Yeah, exactly. Okay. All right. Now, I forgot that we actually have a Patreon because we don't have any subscribers. But I did come up with a really cool idea for a Patreon exclusive thing today. And that would be, Roy, you're born and raised in Michigan. Am I right? Uh, No, I was was raised in Iowa, in southern Iowa. Okay. I still think it counts, though. All right. Okay. How long have you lived in Michigan? Uh, Since uh, 19... Gosh uh 1998 so pretty goddamn long time okay yes all right so i think that this would work and this is like there for, goes our pg rating yeah no for, <laughs> for oh fuck uh what are we gonna do um, <laughs> uh for patreon subscribers it would be we have roy who is a resident of michigan not born or raised there um uh kind of break down uh kid rock songs and it would go something like this it would be like okay the first line of the song is baba to ba to bang to bang diggy and roy would go something like well you see the public school education system isn't very good in michigan and that's where he was raised so what he's trying to say is life is beautiful there and you know i don't know just something dumb like that would be fine well you know I, if if we got some Patreon subscribers, you know, and I, we could throw out a number, I would commit to listening to an entire <laughs> Kid Rock album and giving a, uh, uh, a, a a well-reasoned and insightful analysis about each and every song there. Well, let, let's just do the singles, you know, just do the singles, you know, because it'd be like catching walleye from the dock. Okay, what what is walleye? You know, I, I don't know what that is. Uh, are so you serious? A single Kid Rock song. Well, it's a, like it's care a, to. It's a fish. I don't know what that says about me, but I know it's a fish. But I don't think we have walleye in Mississippi. We may. It says you're a filthy liberal, Rich. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, okay, so now, see, so you you asked this question on on Twitter, and I responded that uh, every Kid Rock song is about being uh, a, a redneck who is like just desperately clutching at re- at relevance because he's. <laughs> He's kind of his his uh, his star is fading, I guess we could say. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. At, at this point, he's definitely trying to jump over into like the conservative Republican crowd. Yep. And uh, it is funny, like somebody took a somebody did a picture of him when he was honored. There is money to be made there. Yes. Um, <laughs> they took a picture of him, and I'll post this in the show notes. I'm sure I can find it. At like I think it was WrestleMania or something where he was where he was being honored. And, oh, I know, as strange as that is to say. And somebody else says, it looks like Dr. Phil is dressed as Kid Rock for Halloween. And so Dr. <laughs> Dr. Phil actually saw it and then dressed as Kid Rock for <laughs> Halloween that year. So anyway, whatever. You you don't want to hear about um, Kid he's Rock. He's kind of aging like Macaulay Culkin is, too. Yeah. What, he's dating Mila Kunis for a while and then, yeah, then just falls apart? I don't know. Oh, well. So we're going to see like a so Kid Rock, Ted Nugent tour. Trump news: There is a MAGA store. Oh, good grief! That's I don't <laughs> know that I can handle nude the nudes also. There's a MAGA store. There's a MAGA store that empty that opened near me. That's um, awesome. 
Yeah, it's I. I can't imagine what the rent is. It's probably two grand a month. I don't know if there's enough enough market there for this guy to make money. And you know, is he is he making it? Is he doing it because he's a fan, or is he is he doing it because he's not a fan? And he wants to fleece some rubes. Look, I so, yeah, I that's okay. Number number one here, I need to see a picture. Take take a picture of it and like post it to Twitter. I think that'd be awesome. Number two, okay. that is a really... Well, it's it's, it's uh, quite a ways from me. So. Oh, okay. I'm but sorry. If you casually drive by, like you're on your way to Carl's Jr. and you find yourself in the area and like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. I'll take a picture of that. Anyway, uh, you know, I've thought about that as well, like the in the run-up to the next presidential election. Eric Bischoff said, uh, controversy creates cash. And you could become like a faux conservative guy, just saying completely and utterly crazy things. And then make mm-hmm. a ton of money off the ad revenue or, or whatever. But the problem is, is you're going to have to, like, eventually venture back out into society once it's all said and done. And nobody's going to like you. And, you know, just I was playing a character. Well, that doesn't work. So, anyway. Yeah, just ask Sarah Huckabee Sanders how, how her job prospects are these days. Yeah. Look, okay. I so what games you guys been playing? Well, like? no, no, no. What I, what I was going to say, Richard, all, the, all those people that... No longer listen to Meeples and Miniatures because it finished. That they all came, they come running all over here, and they were like, "Oh my God, they're just talking about Kid Rock and politics. What is this crap?" <laughs> you know. Uh, anyway, should we so talk we're gonna, about we're gonna buy uh, big ass fighting on, robots on, like the Michael Savage show now or something? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and Roy said we didn't have Bench? any talking points. Uh, Shapiro. Uh, okay. Before we go any further i guess we say we, we do have a sponsor it's alterdementia.com mike is actually printing me up some nice uh six millimeter sci-fi stuff that i'll post a picture of uh when i receive it, it six re- millimeter that's tiny uh-huh it is that's uh-huh. that's become my kind of my scale of choice because the painting doesn't have to be good it doesn't cost as much there's less figures there's less space i i like it plus i'm pretty heavily invested into a large amount of six millimeter terrain anyway uh, and yeah, it's mm-hmm. at alterdementia.com. We'll have this link in the show notes. He does uh, Hero Forge miniatures and a bunch of other stuff that he has license for. Get him anything that you can legally print, and he'll print it for you. And for a good such as yeah, for a good like, well, I was gonna say for a good two more days, at least uh, probably for the you know whatever until he tells us different. Uh, the discount code is COG2019, and I think that's twenty percent off. Oh yeah, and uh, I thought i mentioned it last time maybe i didn't but i found this really cool uh battletech and just this insane forward base thing that i it, okay first of all to actually get the stl files that's the st louis files uh for this is it's 25 dollars <laughs> and 27 cents to just get the files to print this is this from hero forge or is this uh, this is from cults3d.com. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I'll have the link in the show notes. It is a Battletech, quote, forward base, unquote, hex-friendly terrain set. It pretty much fits on one whole Battletech map sheet. And we're going to talk about Battletech in a minute. And, uh, yeah, it's it comes with a whole bunch of stuff. But it's like 25 bucks just to get the file. So I kind of want to... Send the link to Mike and just be, be like, be honest with me, man. What would it cost to print this thing? Because I really want it. But if it's going to cost me like $300 to print it, I'm not interested in it. And I wouldn't want to waste $25 or something, you know, on it. So anyway. And and mm-hmm. this is the same battle tech that I have a, 
uh, starter kit sitting on my shelf over here, right? Yes, and we're, we're going to okay. talk about that. We are going to talk about that. In a yeah. Minute. When we get to the Christmas section of this, that's what we'll talk about. <laughs> yeah. So hmm. in uh, other news, as I understand it, weed is now legal across the river from St. Louis starting in three days. So Rich can head over to East St. Louis now. Now, to be fair, I could always get weed in East St. Louis if I wanted to. <laughs> but yeah, it's legal. Now. But, but I yes, think there's yes. only. All right. I was actually just reading an article on this online, and, and obviously a lot of people in St. Louis are going to be headed across the river to do some shopping on January 1st. But mm-hmm. they're saying there's really only like one place that sells it legally, and you're going to have to wait in line like four hours. And it was, eh, it was interesting. So, I mean, when the retail stores opened around here, apparently they were they were crazy mobbed with people. Um, yeah, that's what they were saying. They were saying, you know, be prepared to stand in line for a while. Yeah. So you know, honestly, I think it's you get a whole lot of people that strictly are are like, well, now it's legal. I've never done it before, so I want to try it. You know. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I mean, I'm I'm not going to go over there and get it right away, but I could I could see myself in that category of people where I've I've never smoked marijuana, but. Um, it's not that I have any objection to it. I think it should be legal everywhere. I just have never done it because, I mean, I don't smoke at all, and it's illegal, so that that's enough of a deterrent to keep me away from it. But, I mean, I drink, so it's not like I'm against mind-altering substances. I've just never done marijuana. Sure. And I will say, nowadays, in the year in, in the year about to be 2020, nobody really smokes anymore. It's all about, like, edibles right. and, you know, dab. I mean, not that I've done it. I just understand this, you know, that, that this, is, <laughs> this is where it is. It's become, you know, it's become really like a hippie kind of health conscious kind of thing. You can certainly, like, grow your own and, you know, whatever and do it. But, yeah, generally these stores are selling stuff that you just ingest one way or another mm-hmm. and you know so yeah, it's just kind of interesting and it's uh, gonna keep on moving across the across the country i think mississippi will be number 50 if it ever happens <laughs> oh, well. it, it'll be legal in puerto rico and the u.s virgin everywhere except mississippi <laughs> so you're saying it may be number 51 because yes. puerto rico might be a state before mississippi legalizes yes. it I, that is a very good yeah Puerto Rico will be a state before Mississippi legalizes marijuana. Why? Well, I could really see shops opening in uh, New Orleans, though. Oh, How yeah. far are you from New Orleans? You're about two two hours, something like that? Uh, two and a half, I think. Um, okay. I will say, I think they have medical now. And the funny thing is, uh, they've had medical since like 19, like 92. Only the law was written bad, so it was like you could legally use it for medical reasons, but you couldn't legally possess it. It it was it was this weird thing, and they actually corrected that about a year ago. So now medical is legal. I visited my brother over Christmas. Uh, medical is legal in Florida now. So driving around Orlando, you see like medical marijuana right here. You know you have you have to actually go to the doctor. In order to mm-hmm. you get a prescription, I think when it happened in California, Joe Rogan said he was like, "Yeah, I go to my doctor and I say I get these headaches when I think about how weed is illegal," and so <laughs> and so he gives him a prescription for it. So, but yeah, uh, it's just interesting to see where it was. I swear, 
you know, when I was in high school, I never, ever thought I'd see this day. It just didn't seem like it would ever go there, you know, with the whole yeah. dare and drugs. I mean, for crying out loud, at the federal <laughs> level, marijuana is a Schedule One drug. It's right there next to heroin, you know? That's, heroin, yeah. Yeah, that's how messed up things are, but anyway. So, I hear Groundhog's Day, which is a fantastic movie with Bill Murray, even though it caused him to uh, break up with Harold Ramis, uh, his friendship, and uh, it will be a palindrome this year. What is a palindrome? Yeah, so this is just an observation that I had. Yeah, well, so there's a palindromic um, phrases and words, like... Ooh, ooh, um, I know one, I know one. Taco Cat. Okay. <laughs> Taco yep. Cat spelled there, backwards is Taco Cat. So there's a very, there is a very, very awesome uh, song by Weird Al Yankovic called Bob. That's all in palindromes, which I very much recommend the, the song Bob. And it has a palindrome like, go hang a salami, I'm a lasagna hog, which is a pretty, uh, pretty weighty palindrome, I guess. Okay. I'll, <laughs> I'll post that in the show notes. But uh, so the, anyway, Groundhog's Day this year, of course, is February second. So o two o two zero two is a palindromic word. Tell. I will say you're dropping out a little bit, Roy. And that, oh, that's odd uh -oh. because Roy's favorite son got him a new microphone for Christmas. He did. Yes, he did. I I, yeah. find, I find that odd. I bet he's downloading stuff in there, and that's that, that's that the problem. could be. Yep. Probably his least favorite son is sabotage the microphone. Mm -hmm. Well, that could be too, but I think he's asleep. <laughs> uh, so it is a blue snowball. Um, That's what I have. I, ironically, it's black. That's but... what I have. Alrighty then. Yes, we are snow. Uh, we are snowball blue snowball we're... brothers. <laughs> We're, <laughs> no, I would type blue snowball into Google to see what it looks like, but I'm afraid that's going to come up with something weird. I was going to say, we're, we're Eskimo brothers, but don't, no, no, that don't, mean, no, don't that, Google that. That means something else. No. Yep. Uh, <laughs> okay, yeah. Sorry, meeples and miniatures refugees. Yes, this is it. Well, I don't know. This is probably the best as it gets. So you can ba you can bail now. You know, it's okay. You can. Well, that's the show. I mean, that's all we had, right? That's, that was it. Just... So let's wrap it up. Yeah. And yeah all right. Oh, hell, are we supposed to talk about games? Yeah, yeah, we do talk about <laughs> yeah. tabletop gaming occasionally. Right. Roy, okay. what what have you been playing? So, uh, at our um, Black Friday, we got a game called Spy Club that we gave to my daughter. And this is a co-op game, and it has a story mode to it. So, it's if you remember Encyclopedia Brown and books like that, um, you're solving a mystery that's happening in your town. And it's, so, it's done through card play, and as soon as you get five of one color so each suit is a different color and so like the green is uh the motive the blue is the suspect and so you're collecting different colors so if, if you have if you have five blue cards laid down all at once and you solve that aspect of the of the crime and then you go on and try to solve another suit so it kind of feels a little bit i guess um like pandemic and that you have to have all of a color and then turn in to, to cure the, the disease. And in this case, a spike club to, um, to s solve the crime, but there is a campaign mode. So you can play five interconnected games. Uh, so if you remember like in uh, stuffed fables, there's, there's a campaign mode where you go through a deck of cards. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the same sort of thing with spike club. Um, 
And so we played one game of it, and we're going to go ahead and reset and start again because um, it was just uh, uh, my wife and my daughter and I played it. So I think we'll bring this out um, at, at our regular game night and give it a go. Um, but Spike Club is um, a, is kind of a fun game. Okay. Cool. It's kid-friendly. So there's that. And then uh, I played a game called Bosk. And this is with one S. <laughs> yeah, uh, I've, I've already made that joke on Twitter. It's like, what? Bosk? You know. <laughs> the trend, the Trandoshan or whatever. Okay, yeah. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. I shouldn't comment on Star Wars. That causes people to scream at their uh, their phone or their radio or whatever. Yeah. So, anyway. <laughs> so uh, Bosk is a game where you're planting trees. And so it plays over the course of a year. So you plant the trees in the spring and then, or I guess the summer. And then in the fall, the leaves fall off the tree. So the there's you go through eight different steps where the wind comes from a different direction and blows leaves across the board. And then at the end of the game, then you're looking at area control of who is on what zones on the board. Um, so it's 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 an abstract game that kind of has a theme, you know, of, of the trees laid over the top of it. Um, there's another game called uh, Photosynthesis, which kind of looks similar, but is quite a bit different. Yeah, I was going to ask if there was any connection or anything. I've heard no. about it, and it looks i've I've heard it best described as like the one of the most beautiful board games that people have seen. Are you speaking about Photosynthesis? Yes, yes, that one. Okay, yeah. So this uh, this is uh, right up there as far as uh, as far as the looks. Um, so I, I played a game of this just a little bit ago, uh, and um, with my wife. And so you, yeah, the fr- the first part of the game, you lay down all the trees and put them on the board, and then the second part is when the wind comes and blows all the trees off. So that's Bosk. Okay. So where does the name Bosk come from? So a Bosk is a small thicket or a small wood. Huh. When I was uh, uh, finding the link, it, it gave me a definition of it. See, I learned something. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, I'm going to be going on vacation here pretty soon. And so I'm uh, kind of looking for games to take on vacation with us. And one of the games that we have had for a while is a game called Roll For It. And it's a dice game. And we've taken it to a bar and played it at a bar before. Um, So there's each, you, you lay out three cards and it'll have like, you need to have two fives and two twos. Well, you only have six dice, and you get one roll per per go around. So you throw your dice, and then whatever cards you want to kind of invest in, you put your dice on those cards. And each turn, when it comes back around to you, you roll again, and if you get another die that matches, then you can add it to the card. Well, meanwhile, everybody else that you're playing with is also going for the same sorts of cards. So you may, you know have all your dice invested on a card and then somebody will get all four of the dice that are needed for it and then you're just kind of out of luck um but roll for it is kind of it's a there's not a whole lot of thinking to it you just roll your dice and kind of decide where you want to um you know take your chances what cards you want to go for and of course the the if a card requires like six sixes that's worth 15 points i think Whereas the the card that requires two fours is only worth two points, so that's roll for it. All right. 
And then uh, I gave my wife for Christmas a game called Can't Stop Express because I knew that she was a big fan of the Can't Stop board game from the 80s. Um, so this is a, I would call it a roll and write, essentially. And it's it does not quite have the same sort of press your luck uh, feel as the as the regular Can't Stop game. But I mean, it's it's serviceable. It's another one of those. I don't know if I want to call it a coffee shop game uh, just because of the dice. Um, but I mean, you know, I suppose you could play it at a bar, too. But that's yeah. Can't Stop Express. My wife, similar to you, she played the uh, like the full version when she was a kid. And then she got me this for Christmas, either last year or the year before. I can't remember. Um, we haven't played it in a while, but we played it a few times. And I liked it. It was fun. It is mm-hmm. it is just a roll and write, but it's got more decisions involved in it. You know, you've got you have to sort of calculate probabilities and you have to decide which rows you want to fill up. Because when you, when you start filling a row up, you're immediately going to lose points until you get to a certain level on that row. So. Um, yeah. I, I thought it was a pretty fun game. I'd like to play it again. I had mm-hmm. kind of forgotten about it until you mentioned it. So, yeah, I think this is probably going to go on vacation with us. Yeah. Uh, so then I uh, played a game called Sky Joe that my wife got off of Amazon. It was on a deal. Um, and it is a uh, it's very similar to there's a game called Golf that you play with a regular deck of cards. And I think it's four cards that are all face down. And so, like, you can look at two cards, and you're trading cards back and forth. You're trading cards that are face down. You're trying to get the lowest score. It's kind of the, the traditional game. So this game, Sky Joe, is uh, you play with 12 cards, and there are um, – you draw a card, and you can either put it into your array or discard it. Uh, and so, again, you're trying to get the lowest, lowest score. And then once you think you have the no- lowest score – then you you know you check and then everybody else has one more turn to try to beat you. So that's uh, Sky Joe is a little um, little card game. The, you know a lot of the games I've been playing uh, this over the Christmas time has been pretty, I guess lightweight. Like nothing there aside from the Spike Club game is is that that weighty. Well, um, I mean that's good. I mean it's not like you have to. You know, anybody should have to, like, you know, play, like, really heavy stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I prefer a lot of casual games myself. It's just every once in a while, you know, you may get that itch for, like, okay, I want to try something a little complex. Mm-hmm. Or sit down and play. What is that, uh, the big board game that's famous for taking forever? It's uh, sci-fi. Twilight game. Imperium? Yes. Africa? Twilight Imperium. What did you say, Richard? I thought you said the, I thought you were talking about the campaign for North Africa. Oh no! You no, mean no, the no, board no. game though? Yeah. Twilight yeah. Imperium. Yeah, I yeah. played that today. Twilight Imperium. Oh. Yeah. So. You played it today? How long yeah. did it take you? Well, actually, we started yesterday. <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> and so uh, finally, I I played a game called What Do You Meme? Okay. And I, I want to hear about this because my yep. kids really, really want want it. Okay. So, yeah, but here's what's funny is, and I don't want to interrupt, but. I already did, so why not? Uh, oh. An adult party game for meme lovers, but should be, it seems like, I don't know, seems like adults are kind of behind on the memes. It's the teenagers oh. that know more about memes than we do. So, Well, so there, I didn't recognize all of them that were in there, but there, I'm, most of them I did. Um, like the little girl looking over her shoulder as the house is on fire. Yeah. Uh, the uh, David after dentist is in there. 
There's some some Biden ones. There's some Trump ones. And so uh, we played with the not safe for work deck. Uh, so it was a we played with a bunch of kids. So it was uh, my friend that's a pastor and me and the <laughs> pastor's 19 year old daughter and then three or four 16 year olds. So there were some very uncomfortable parts to it. So this game is kind of it's it kind of follows the apples to apples um, uh, framework, which okay. is the same thing that Cards Against Humanity does. So this is kind of a visual version of Cards Against Humanity. Um, and the the not safe for work cards were one of them was like um, uh, when you find out that your dad has the same taste in Internet porn as you do. <laughs> So it was, yeah, it was it was highly uh, uncomfortable to play it, you know, with uh, 16-year-olds and then to have the, the pastor and the pastor's daughter play together. Um, so I don't, there were some cringy moments. It was mostly entertaining, but I don't know if I'd want to play this So if you again. don't use the Not Safe for Work expansion deck, if you just use, like, the core game or even like the fresh memes expansion deck or whatever, is it more appropriate or are they all pretty much adult? They're, they're all certainly, um, to the R rating, I think. Okay. Well, I maybe wonder, not PG 13. I could see like my 19 year old and my 21 year old really loving this game. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cause um, they like apples to apples. They like, um, there's other games that they, uh, that they enjoy because there's sort of inside jokes involved. <laughs> I can see them really liking this, but mm -hmm. you know, I'm not interested in <laughs> playing porno password with them. <laughs> yeah, it was, I don't know. It was, it was okay. I suppose it was, it was fun to read the, um, to read the captions. Um, you know, and some of them were, were straight up mature audiences, but some of them were, you know, I guess PG 13. Well, you know, to be devil's advocate, it's it's got to be hard on the kids that are like, I really want to laugh at this, but I don't want, you know, an awkward ride home where my mom is telling me, like, how did you know what that means? Yeah. 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 So. So, and then uh, finally, I wanted, I wanted to talk about, I mentioned that uh, for Black Friday, they had a mystery box for sale. So you had no idea what it was. It was a gift wrap box. So we just took it and threw it under the tree. And then, you know, we opened it. So uh, the games that were in there were Bosque that we played, uh, a game called Thieves' Den, which I played a two-player game of it that I want to... I'm not ready to talk about that yet because I don't... I haven't developed my thoughts on it. And then a game called Wayfinders, which I have not played yet either. So so that's the, the games that I got. I got these three games for $65. Bosque, Thieves' Den, and Wayfinders. Okay, I wonder, like, yeah, I wonder how much you ended up saving over it. Just curious. Yeah, I'm not sure. Okay, but <laughs> but you liked them so far. Yeah, well, I like Bosk. Yeah, and Thieves Den. I'm 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 not sure. That's the so, most important thing is that you liked it. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I didn't get a chance to really play anything. Oddly enough, um. For the first time ever, look, I've given my kids stuff for Christmas, like D&D uh, uh, &D starters, uh, My Little Pony thing, you know, all this stuff. 
and it really doesn't ever get played. They're kind of like, yeah, we, you know, why don't you run something for us or whatever? But they got, I gave them um, two Funko games. The, um, of course, you know, I already had uh, Golden Girls, but I got the, uh, the, the 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 Batman one and the Harry Potter one. And immediately they played the Harry Potter one, and then they broke out the Batman one. All three of them. And I've just been amazed that they punched everything out, and they're actually sitting down, and they're actually playing it. I, it just blows my mind. Like, why? What... Why did it have to be Funko, of all things, to suddenly be like, wow, board games are cool. This is fun. You know, <laughs> they're all on the floor in their room. And, yeah, so, yeah, this has been neat for me. And uh, so, yeah, can you uh, tell me, tell us about your kids, like um, ages? and the, These that I'm talking about are 17, 15, and 13. Okay. Uh, I have one that's 18, and she's in college. She plays D&D. She played D&D in high school and continues to play D&D. She's at her first semester of college now. So, mm -hmm. Although no nothing to do with me, that was all peers, you know. But, mm -hmm. but yeah, uh, my youngest is 13, and we played <laughs> last time, uh, I think we played, um, what was that movie? Uh, movie, a uh, game that Roy didn't like, uh, Fireball Island. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, uh, we she really dug that, and yeah, I was like, yeah, my co-host didn't like it because it just wasn't too, you know. And nowadays, you know, board games we expect more from, but you know, <laughs> back this is pretty much just a straight, you know, reprint of it, and yeah, there isn't much to this game. It's move, maybe knock something over. There you go. It's pretty damn simple. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I just I didn't get a chance to play anything. I mean, I can't even imagine. I spent a week in Orlando uh, because I had a new a nephew, my uh, my first and only. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I mean this is like literally it. I don't have any nieces or anything else. This is I have a nephew and will probably just be him. So it's a really big deal. And so I kind of poked around. I I went by Cool Stuff Inc. like I always do, neat place, and a bunch of other places in the area and uh if you follow me on twitter it that's at chance of gaming all one word you can see some of the pictures and stuff i posted uh orlando has some interesting shops a lot of them are like eh, the, you know just we're running straight msrp and blah 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 and but i did find one kind of cool one that had um decision games on the shelf and some other um historical company a minor historical company and so i was kind of impressed that that at that that they had those and there were a group of older guys that were sitting around playing a miniatures version of command and colors ancients so i was like wow you know if i lived here this would probably be the place i hung out I found a Facebook group where some people actually play ASL. So I'm like, well, maybe next time, you know, I'm in the area, we can meet up and I, you can teach me how to play. Or basically, we play, you just tell me what to do, what to roll. That's how it would work. But I didn't get a chance to play anything. I think other than that, um, oh, yeah, I guess the only other thing in that vein I had, uh, my friend who I met at a convention about, 10 or 15 years ago, Mike Bobe, B-O-B-E, has Bobe's Hobby House in Pensacola, Florida, and it is going out of business. It 
I think his grandfather started it. It's like been a thing in the area for like 40 years or something. And um, it was a place that you would go in. You can buy like anything from like RC stuff all the way down to like 40K and everything in between. Like he was one of the first guys I ever knew that stocked like Flames of War and stuff. So they're going out of business. So I imagine if you're in the area, the sales will be good starting in January. But who knows? So. Well, Rich, what have you been playing? So we, we finished up our game of Unconditional Surrender Europe. I think I talked about that last time. So uh, we decided the three of us, we get together almost weekly, usually on either Wednesday or Thursday nights, play for about three hours. And we like to play something that's long and stays on the table for a while. And we decided our next game would be the U.S. Civil War, which is a GMT game. Uh, it's a strategic level Eh, operational strategic, I guess, sort of in between uh, US, obviously U.S. Civil War, North versus South. Um, we decided to just play um, one year just to kind of reacquaint ourselves with the rules, and then we're going to reset and play the full campaign. So our first night playing it, we just started in 1862, and I'm glad we did that because I did some dumb things. This is my first time playing against other people, uh, but We'll reset it, and we're going to play the entire campaign together. So, got a chance to play that. I think we're going to we'll have one guy who play the South, who obviously is mostly going to be on defense, and then the other two of us will split up the North. The the the, the game is divided into three theaters. So there's there's the Eastern theater, the Western theater, which is basically everything from like New England to uh, the Mississippi River, and then the Trans Mississippi theater which is Missouri, Arkansas, that area. So uh, the Eastern Theater has most of the most of the units in it just because there's so much going on around D.C. and Richmond. Uh, so we'll have one guy control that, another guy control the, the other two in the north, and then obviously the third guy do the south. Yeah, don't, don't forget Vicksburg. That was like our big thing. The only, <laughs> the only thing in the, in the whole state, that's what we got, Vicksburg. It was a whole campaign. Yeah, there was a there was a whole siege there and everything. Do you guys have any good like museums or memorials or anything? Uh, probably, probably memorials for sure. Well, which they're they'll get torn down eventually because you can't commemorate any Southern generals anymore. Well, we we have a national park. We have Vic, Vicksburg National Park. So, oh, okay. Yeah, uh, it's a federal park and uh, it's super super nice. Uh, it's very hilly over there. And, like, the local, um, there's, like, a National Guard base there. They will run PT through it because it has, it's nothing but hills, you know. So, okay. Yeah. Anyway, uh, it's really, really nice, and I highly recommend it. It is funny, though, like, when you go through it, uh, apparently whenever they dedicated it uh, in the early 1900s, uh, all the northern uh, states have enormous beautiful like memorials and the southern ones are very small and kind of half-assed it's because we, we didn't have any money <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. like the the, nor the northern ones do that's like when i was actually in uh wisconsin and seeing uh confederate flags flown at lake michigan I, I got I was so annoyed I was like I could take you to the Wisconsin Memorial in, at Vicksburg and you can see how many Wisconsin soldiers died at Vicksburg you know and you're flying yeah. this flag anyway whatever so but yeah it's really really nice and that's just our whole claim to fame I mean 
Because like the Battle of Jackson, Bryce's Crossroads, none of those really count because they were just like a day. Even like Champion Hill was pretty much like just a day. It's still nothing. The closest other thing we have is Corinth, the Battle of Corinth, which took place a few days after Shiloh. So that's right. Yeah, I remember hearing about that one. Shiloh is a pretty well preserved battlefield. So I've been there. It's literally like. 15 miles, I think, over the border uh, into Tennessee. I've never been. My dad went, or I went when I was, like, really, really young, and I don't remember it, but, yeah. My dad always said he was very surprised that that many people died on that smaller, small piece of land. That smaller piece of land. So, anyway. Yeah. So, once once we reset and play the full campaign, I'll be doing an after-action report for every session on Twitter. I know... I've had a lot of people that have, have commented on my unconditional surrender pictures and action reports. So uh, I'll be doing the same thing for the U.S. Civil War once we get there. Probably, I think we're going to meet again this Thursday night. We'll probably finish up 1862. And then maybe a week from Thursday, we'll start on the full campaign. Cool. And then on my sort of solo table right now, I've got Next War Poland up um, just because uh, – I'm just trying to get back into that system. I've played it a little bit, not as much as I would like to. Um, Next War Korea is about to come out. Some people are already, I'm sorry, uh, Taiwan is about to come up. And some people are already getting that. So I'm going to get that when it comes out as well. But the whole Next War system, I'm just, I really like a lot. And Mitch is working on some cyber war rules as a supplement for that. So I really want to play Poland with the cyber war rules and the additions and stuff like that, and just see how, see how that plays. So playing a little bit of next war Poland. I'm just playing that by myself though. I, and then, well, I wanted to say, um, I ended up commenting on something on Twitter about, uh, somebody is playing next war something and it has a counter for, um, (laughs) whale threat level. Yes. The whale threat (laughs) level. Absolutely. I'm assuming that's not next war. Poland, but they're well so that is in supplement number two and i'm spilling the beans here to indicate that that is an inside joke and some of us uh (laughs) just so (laughs) it all came because probably mitch but maybe someone else found this article about the soviets using whales for naval warfare they're like training dolphins training whales and they're I don't, I don't remember the details. It has something to do with them sabotaging ships. And then either someone in NATO, I don't know if it was Norway or Sweden or someone, I think it was one of the northern countries, responded by training dolphins to hunt the whales. And it, it became a whole thing. And so just as a joke, um, someone made a joke with Mitch that he should put a whale threat level counter on the next war so there is no rule associated with that counter it's literally just like there was an extra space on the counter sheet and he thought it would be fun so that's, that's what is a whale threat counter yep i was just like in world war three <laughs> the whales yeah. have chosen a side <laughs> yeah so whale threat level and i think mitch has a shirt with a whale threat level on it too so that's cool i would buy that shirt <laughs> yeah absolutely so anyway yeah and then speaking of solitaire, I've been playing a lot of Spirit Island um, just because it's it's fun solitaire. I got back into it playing with my wife and daughter co-op, but it's such a small footprint if you play it solo. You can have just, 
you know, just a single section of the map on the board and then the invader board in your own cards. You can play it on a small table. Plays pretty quickly if you know the rules. So it plays, you know, maybe in an hour or so. And it's just, it's just a really fun game. I like the game a lot. So I've been playing, I played three or four times in the last few weeks. Now, this one actually has a digital port, or... No, I'm sorry, it did. It had a Kickstarter, and it is yes. about to have a, a a port. Right, and I don't know what the status on that is. I did not back that, but yes, they were going to kickstart a digital version of the game. Okay. And then the opposite of Small Footprint, we talked about this earlier, is Twilight Imperium, uh, which is a big, huge sort of space opera strategy game. Um I love this game so much. It's it's honestly it's uh it's one of the three games that I have rated a ten on BGG. There's Twilight Imperium, Here I Stand, and ASL. Those are my sort of perfect games. So I wanted to play it while my daughter is in town because I knew she would like it. She's away at college, but she's home for Christmas break, and so we're gonna play next Saturday. But since she didn't know how to play, I wanted to play kind of a learning game with her. So we Mm -hmm. did that this weekend with my wife, my daughter, and me. We just played a three-person game of it. We played all afternoon yesterday, and then we finished it up this afternoon. So, uh, yeah, Twilight Imperium 4th Edition. We played just a learning game this weekend. Next weekend, we're going to play a full six-player game. So that'll go all day for sure, and I'm looking forward to it. It's been a while since I played this. I want to play it again. Yeah, it is so good. I I was just telling my wife today, and my, my wife and daughter both, fell in love with it once they got a chance to play it but Mm -hmm. i think a lot of these games and it's understandable i mean the game costs well north of a hundred dollars i used a bunch of like game store credits to buy it i don't remember what i paid for it um and then you know it's it's big and it takes it takes a long time just to set up and then it takes eight hours to play and then another half hour to put away so i can Mm -hmm. understand why people would be intimidated with it but I would definitely say if you have a chance to play this, especially at someone else's house, because they already own it, you should give it a shot because it, it is worth every minute. This is a game you typically see at cons a lot. Yeah, and that's understandable because yeah. people go to a con expecting to put, you know, sometimes eight hours into a game. So Right. Yeah, you can just leave it out and just, yeah, that would be great. Yeah, so. absolutely. So, yeah, for the three of us go to a con again, maybe I'll bring Twilight Imperium. But yeah, you do have right. to commit a whole day to it. So, you know, mm. there is uh, there is a group of I've never played it online, but I think they play on Tabletop Simulator. But even then, I mean, you don't have the time and everything, but it still takes the same amount of time because it's mm-hmm. not a play by email kind of game. It's you have to sit down and play it live. So. All right. And then last week at our on. Uh, yeah, I guess it was just last week, the 21st. Seems like a long time ago. But uh, at our, our STL Wargamers Monthly Gaming Day, we did our Day with a Designer. So we had Greg Blanchett in, who uh, who does, does Fall Blau, which is a compass game. And he's also working on the expansion for that game called Karkov Battles, uh, before and after Fall Blau. So we played with Greg. Uh, we played. It's a two-player game, but we divided it up and played with four players. We played the Kharkov Battles, um, and it was a lot of fun. It's a um, how would I describe it? It's a it's 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 a it's a hex encounter war game. Um, you know, shit pull. Um, the one thing that I really liked about the game um, 
Well, it's not shit pull as far as activation. But the one thing that I really liked about the game is that most of the units in the game, you don't know how strong they are until you start the fight. So you have an idea. They could be an A unit, a B unit, or a C unit. But once once your unit first gets into a fight, you'll pull a chit for them, and you'll find out how strong they exactly are. So you'll pull a chit, and it'll say, if it's an A, it's a strength 10. If it's a B, it's a strength 7. If it's a C, it's a strength 3 or whatever. But those numbers can vary wildly, so some of the A's are not as good as some of the B's. So it's it's really interesting. I thought it was a neat mechanic to have some uncertainty. You know, that way it's not just strictly a numbers game. It's not, well, I'm going to bring force, uh, you know, 20 force points against him, and he's got four force points, so I've got five to one odds, and this is the train. There's more to it than that, which I really like. So um, he's got the same system in Fall Blau and also in the expansion. But the expansion is actually a standalone game. It's uh, it's still in playtesting, so it hasn't even gone for sale yet. But I think it will pretty soon. The game was, you know, it seemed polished and ready to go to me. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll see. That'll come up pretty soon. If, if you're interested in it, the, the expansion... Uh, Maybe I shouldn't call it an expansion, but the sequel, Karkov Battles, is a little bit lighter than Fall Blau. And I don't know what the differences are because I haven't played Fall Blau, but I know the rule book is like 24 pages instead of 28 pages or something like that. But I would definitely, when, when Karkov Battles comes out, uh, I'll probably pick that one up and I would encourage anyone else to do so as well. So, I mean, I will say looking at Fall Blau, um, the just the real estate you need for it is quite big. The, the map yeah. seems to be quite large. and you know. Yeah, there are a number of maps. I think Fall Blau maybe even have my five maps, but I think most scenarios are one or two map scenarios. So out of those five, you're not going to... I'm sure there are some scenarios in there that use all five, but not all of them. So. Okay. It can be a table hog if you want it to be, but it doesn't have to be. But Karkov Battles, I think, is going to come out with three maps, and the scenario we played on was only one map. So, all right. Now, in this next section, we kind of wanted to more or less do like 2019, kind of a year in review. Rich, you were going to start us off with you were going to continue on with your top three gaming experiences of the year. Yeah, I was just thinking, not necessarily like the best games I've played all year, um, but just the best three gaming experiences I've had this year. And for me, the top one was was Dice Tower Con. I had never been to a con before, so that was absolutely a first for me. Um, and I'm not really a big crowds kind of person, which is why I've never been to a con before. Um, but this one, it didn't feel overwhelming at all. There was never a point where I felt like, Oh, there's just too many people here. You know, maybe standing in line to wait to get into the uh, the the uh, the room where they were selling the games on Thursday or Friday or whatever it was. But for the most part, um, everything went really smoothly. I could get in and out of places as I wanted to, and it was just a lot of fun. I had my my daughter with me playing games. It's not something I would want to go to every year, but maybe every two or three years, I can definitely see going to that con or some con with her. Now, there are smaller cons that I go to that are more, you know, like the one I'm going to go to in May is literally only 20 people. But actually going to a big con is something I would want to do again. Oh, uh, and, man. That, 
just uh it it just reminds me um i've wanted to kind of get a local one off the ground forever it it happened like post katrina we we have this really nice kind of historical one called Bayou Wars, which is over in Louisiana. It was in New Orleans, but eventually it moved. Well, right after Hurricane Katrina, they were like, well, we can't have it in New Orleans because everything's fucked up. What do we do? And so they had it in Vicksburg and actually had a, you know, a really, really nice turnout. And I was like, wow, this just goes to... It was like in Vicksburg for, I don't know, two years, maybe three after Katrina, before New Orleans got, you know, kind of straight again. And I was like, wow, this just shows you that we could have one here in Mississippi. That, you know, that people would come, and that would be great. And, man, I just wish somebody would do it, you know. But, anyway. But no one yet? No, it's, I, I would definitely like to have one for a historical bent. Like, my friend runs one, like, in September in Hattiesburg, which is, like, two hours south. But the Jackson area w- could host one. In fact, I would ha- I would do it in Vicksburg, just for the historical you know nature of it. And yeah, uh, no, I mean yeah, it, it's a whole thing. I've looked at doing it like myself a couple of times to do it right, where you have like insurance, you know, and all this different stuff. It's kind of cost prohibitive. It, just in the sense of you're going to have to pony up a bunch of money up front that you'll probably recoup, but there's no guarantee. I don't know. But, yeah, it's just I wish somebody more established than me, like a, a, a gaming store or something, would do it. I mean, it could yeah. just be something small to start. Where, Like you said, where it's just 20 people, and that would be awesome. But, meh, what can you do? Yeah, I wouldn't even know where to start with that. I do know the guy that runs um, one of the one of the organizers for Geekway to the West. So, I guess if I wanted to start something like that, I'd start by talking to him. But I'm not I'm not interested in starting my own. <laughs> That's like a uh, who that uh, dude at um what is it History on the t- the Table the podcast yeah 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 yeah. Matt. yeah he's immediately got one over us. He has his own convention. <laughs> Yeah, he, and he's, I mean, Dang. honestly, he's doing an amazing job organizing that. I'm glad you brought it up because I'll, I'll keep mentioning his his historic KC Fest. Uh, that's going to be at the end of June. And I think for a few more days, they still have the, the early order, you know, discount or whatever they call it. Um, so, yeah, historic KC Fest with, with Matt Peterson. Um, I'm definitely going to that one. But that's another smaller one. I mean, that's going to be. I don't know how many people are going to be there, but it would probably be less than 50, I would guess, less than 100 for sure. So it's not it's not anything like a 10 or 20,000 person convention. It's a 10 hour drive for me. That's only five for me. I know. Well, see, that's, that's the thing is it's actually 10 hours and 23 minutes if I go through St. Louis. So yeah. I, could, I could drive all the way there and stop and then ride with you. That that'd be the only, yeah it could work that way. There we go. <laughs> but we uh, the man, that's just <laughs> really cool. That's I you know that that he did that, and of course you know if you're in a major city like St. Louis or Kansas City, whatever Indianapolis, Nashville, whatever, you should have something like this because you should be able to draw, draw you know people into it. You have an airport and whatever. Yeah, 
Eh, Jackson is just, yeah, Jackson's Jackson. If you've ever tried to fly into here or out of here, it's super expensive. Uh, my brother always said, like, it is cheaper for him to fly into New Orleans, rent a car, and drive to Jackson than it is to fly into Jackson direct. It's yeah. just, eh. You gotta have an airport, you know, because that's what, you know, all the cool kids do is fly nowadays. <laughs> Anyway, sorry. Yeah. So my second best gaming experience this year, I talked just a few minutes ago about Day with the Designer. Um, our very first day with the Designer was uh, with Mike Denson, who did... Uh, uh, I'm drawing a blank on the game now. Uh, the Last 100 Yards. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we interviewed him. Um, and it was just... It was, it was our first week that we moved from our old location to Miniature Market. We had, like more than 20 people there playing the game with them. We had four or five copies of the game going at the same time. And Mike was just highly involved. He was at every table moving in and out, just kind of owning the room. So it was just an amazing experience. And I don't remember if it was Mitch or Bruce that first suggested doing day with the designer, but it was just the best idea. I'm so glad we did. We've done two. Now we have at least two and maybe three more planned for next year. Playing a game with the guy that designed it is an amazing experience. That is so cool. Yeah, I mean, he yeah. was he was a great interview. That went really well, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's going to be at Historic KC Fest too. So that's another reason you should go up there to meet him. Cool. He is he like a really he's spry for what did he say? He was like seventy four. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he's up there, but yeah, he's he'll he'll run laps around you and me. I guarantee. I that. know. I was like, "Damn, gum." <laughs> I'm like, I just hope to be alive at 74. Much yeah. much less, you know, I produced a game and I'm running around promoting it. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. Yeah, and then finally, I just talked about this a few minutes ago too. Unconditional Surrender Europe. Uh, just the chance to play a really big, really long game, and I'm going to get into some even bigger games next year, hopefully, but. You know, we put 30 to 40 hours into this game, all three of us, and it's just, it's an experience that um, most people honestly don't get. I mean, most people think of, most people, when they hear that I'm going to play a board game that's going to go four hours, they're like, oh, you're crazy. Um, And much less a game like Twilight Imperium that's going to go eight hours or possibly more, and then Unconditional Surrender. 30 to 40 hours is what we put into it. So it's, it's something not everyone gets to do for logistical or interest reasons or whatever. Uh, but I'm really glad that I got the chance to do it. And like I said, I've got some even bigger games coming next year, hopefully. Hmm. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, I want to talk about giant games in a minute, but yeah. <clears throat> All right, Roy, what about Are you? Are we going to talk about big ass fighting robots? <laughs> No, no, no. We're, we're, we're getting to that point, but oh, you, wanted, okay. you said right. you were going to commit to be a better podcast host for 2020? Yeah, you know what? I want to get better at this. I, I, I have an investment now of this, of this cool microphone that my favorite son gave me. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to get better at this. And I, I, I want to um, be, be more of a cornerstone for the two of you guys. I believe you're, you're the race dance. You're the heart and soul team. Oh, that's, that's the way I think. So, yeah. well, it's very endearing. Thank I mean, you very yeah. much. I, I mean, honestly, uh, I think like next episode, or at least somewhere in January, do a state of the podcast thing, like state of the state, which mm-hmm. I have to actually work for mine. 
Uh, it's a whole thing, day job thing. But uh, yeah, it's I, I you know I think that would kind of be interesting to do to be like what we want to do going forward, you know, an idea of it. I mean, to me, you know, I'm still good. You know, there there are days when you know I've put off recording an episode for a week or two due to uh, mental health reasons. But um, but you know, by and large, I mean I love it. You know. I having done this off and on for about ten year eight ten years now, when and and just seeing like meeples and miniatures fold up, you know, I don't know what the reason is, but I know for me, I always know it's time to pack it in when it's no longer fun, when mm-hmm. I'm when I'm like dreading it, when I'm like ugh, I gotta record an episode tonight, ugh, I don't want to do it. There's so much other stuff I want to do, but you know, I look forward to this. I look forward to like you know. You know, I put stuff on there. I'm like, oh shit, I can't wait to talk about this. I have a great joke to make or whatever. So, you know, mm-hmm. I yeah, I dig it. I'm you know, I'm having fun and yeah. So yeah, I think we'll we'll talk more about that. I think next episode maybe do a state of the podcast where we are and where we'd like to be. Yeah. What, what were the best games you played this year though? So I uh, this was the year that I played Root, and this is the year that I played Wingspan, and I enjoyed both of them. It's been a while since I played Root. I want to get back to it, um, but I played both these games at Dice Tower Con. So maybe that was, <laughs> you know, that was that was the thing. It was uh, the first game of Root that I played was was with uh, Rich, and uh, I don't remember if your daughter played with this. Oh, she did, didn't she? Yeah, she did. She played the birds, or did I play the birds? I don't. Yeah, that's still in my mind. Whoever now. played the birds probably lost though. And then. Uh, <laughs> Adam and I played Wingspan there, and I'm I'm quite enjoying Wingspan. It's a very relaxing game. It's the a beautiful artwork game. is nice. Yes. Um, so I I in the coming year I want to play more Wingspan and Root. I still haven't gotten the chance to play Wingspan, but it's funny because I actually recommended it to someone a few days ago. I can't oh, yeah. remember, but someone was talking about uh, just their interest in birds, and mm-hmm. then we were talking about board games. I'm like. You need to play a game called Wingspan. So yes, I, that was that was a good call. Yeah. So. And it was yeah, so, that's, I know I was talking face to face because I remember saying it's made by a local guy. Oh, yep. Yeah, Stonemeyer yeah. Games. Yeah. Our close personal friend, uh, <laughs> Jamie Stegmeyer from Stonemeyer Games. Yep. Yeah. Oh, and I saw um, at my FLGS a few weeks ago. I saw copies of Tapestry in the Wild. I actually laid my hands upon the box. The tapestries. Yeah. My friend has a copy of that, so I will probably get to play it soon. Maybe even on New Year's Eve if I get a chance to go over there. Uh-huh. Um, he has played it before. He liked it. He said, don't go into it thinking it's a Civ builder, though. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, that's what he told me. So I'll let you know if I get you a chance to play it. Okay. You know, I was actually looking on... Um... I think the board game geek list for by you sort by you go to genre and in this case I chose war games and you sort by like ranking. Uh, sure. Root, Root is way up there. Yeah, that mm-hmm. surprised me. I mean, it's not historical, but it is a well. Now, as soon as I say that, now we're going to start getting angry people calling. But come on, um, Rich, yeah, I mean, you don't remember the Great <laughs> Raccoon Incursion of forty three? <laughs> It's not historical, but I agree that it is a war game. So, yeah, it it really is. I I mean, playing it, I was like, okay, this is absolutely yeah. It's a war game. It plays that way, 
And, uh, yeah, I mean, I dug everything about it. It was one of those, it's been a, a Kickstarter regret for me. And it's actually one I don't own. I think my friend Chris got a copy, so I don't have to own it. So, uh, yeah, but dang, I ain't played it in a while. And aren't they kickstarting a new expansion for it soon? Uh, they already did. I'm already, I, I kickstarted the expansion for it, and I don't know where it stands right now. Seems like kickstarters this year have really been slow. Oh, shit, that reminds me over, okay, over Christmas when, you know, you just get packages, you know, it's like, oh, I'm, yeah. wait, I'm waiting <laughs> on, you know, Great Aunt Susie's, you know, teapot to come in or whatever. You got her. I did have a Kickstarter for Phil, and I forgot to even post about it. I'll try to do, <laughs> that, do that this week. Because I hate that when I don't get the, the notification that, like, hey, this we're ready, we're shipping, it shipped, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and it just shows up. And it's like, what is this? You know, who is this? And both, Oh, yeah, dang, I forgot. I backed this. And, yeah, here it is. You know, we should try to seek out that guy, Cole Whirly. Whirly, okay. Because he did Infamous Traffic, too. Yep. So yeah. that and would be Vast neat. Crystal Caverns. Oh, man, that's one I own that haven't uh, I haven't put to the table. That's cool. Um, oh, yeah, what was that I talked to you about, uh, Richard, That to actually seek out that you want to... Oh, yeah, Richard's Rhapsody. Yes. Oh, oh yeah, the the new OCS game. Yes, Richard's yeah. Rap, Rhapsody. Oh, we're going to start that hashtag. I think it's called Hungarian Rhapsody. Yes, that's what yeah. it is, but we're going to we do the We can go by Richard's Rhapsody. Yeah, yeah we're, that's fine with me. We're going to do the hashtag Richard's Rhapsody, and we're going to start they a... can They can use my name, and all I ask for is one free copy of the game. And I'll even <laughs> pay for the one that I already pre-ordered and just send me an extra one. <laughs> we'll, we, we will do... If you could, yeah... If you can figure out who you want to talk to, we'll, we'll start that. We'll start the hashtag. We'll, we'll get this through the P500. I want to be the podcast that managed to get 12 guys together to pre-order this. That's my claim to fame. Well, actually, so this one is not GMT, so it's not P500. It's MMP, and I think their target number was 550. So we're going to have to do oh, a little better. Okay. But still, I want to try it. Yeah. I do. It was kind of funny on the Twitter thread, though, because... I don't remember who it was, but someone's like, well, why don't you guys try to publicize this? And they said, well, we don't have any time or money. It's like, money? Everybody wants to interview you and publicize it for free. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think someone at MMP kind of needs to join the 21st century. Eh, I don't know. Some of them are, are fun. I like tagging them in weird, dumb stuff, like my T-shirt the other <laughs> like day. T-shirt, yeah. And they're like, yeah, they'll like it. You know, it's like, okay, good. You know, you're, you're like that, you know. Weird. And then I, 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 every time I wear that shirt, which isn't very rare, uh, very often, I come back from the store and go, okay, once again, people thought I was probably some weird special needs guy, you know, with the <laughs> Sharpie shirt on. I'm like, damn, I actually, and I'm like, and then I'm like, wait a minute, I went to Walmart in Mississippi. Did anybody even notice, you know, I was there? Whatever. Anyway. <coughs> so, um, moving on. I, the thing I had for this, I'm stealing from Wargamer.com. It was just kind of a thing I wanted to comment on because they wrote this beautiful article. I will have it uh, in the show notes for you to read. It is the year in War Games 2019, Board Games and Historical. 
you know, it's like, why should I write this when I could just steal theirs? You know, I just wanted Maybe, to, I just, as long as you give credit. It's yes, okay. I know. Yeah, I know. I'm not stealing it because I actually footnoted it. So it's not You're publicizing. I cite I cited it. So it's not stealing. <laughs> So uh, I just wanted to comment on a few things that uh, a few points that he made. Uh, I think one was get guys getting away from hex gaming, and eh, that's kind of a thing, you know. Uh, well, I I don't know. I don't know if I agree with him on that. I mean, I agree that there are more options than just hex, which is good, um, but there's plenty of hexes out there too i mean there's tons of hex encounter games hex encounter is still kind of the standard to the point where you know point to point movement or or whatever else is is going to be noticed because it's not hex encounter if it's a hex encounter war game nobody's going to say it's a hex encounter because that's still kind of the standard yeah but i think i think really what it what it comes down to is you don't have to use hex encounter if that's not what's important in your game, you know, hex encounter serves a purpose because it allows 360 degree movement. Um, whereas some games, some terrains, some times in history when people had to stay on the roads, point to point movement makes a lot more sense. Um, so I, I don't have a problem with it with hex encounter obviously and i don't have a problem with a game that's not hex encounter i think that the important thing is that the designer chooses one or the other or some third option or whatever based on what kind of game they're trying to make yeah i i agree completely i mean because i mean passive glory isn't going to work in you know hex encounter and so yeah yeah it just depends on you know scale and whatnot but anyway uh, the next thing he had was like republishing the classics, which to me, I did not grow up with uh, war games at all. So it's been fascinating to me to like learn this history that people talk about like these games that they utterly love that have been out of print or whatever. So to me, it's really neat to see him like come back in. I think he mentions uh, the Russian campaign, but what I'm most interested in was GDW's Red Star White Eagle which I think we've talked about a little bit before. Compass Games is uh, doing the uh, republishing of it, and I'm really interested in it. It's the Russo-Polish War of 1920. So, yeah, it looks really, really cool to me. And, um, yeah, it's something that I kind of want, but I'm not buying any more war games right now. But, anyway. Yeah, I've said before that I don't know anything about running a business or intellectual property or the legal stuff or anything like that. But still, I will say I'm kind of surprised that we don't see more reprints um, or, or at least. But I guess in some way we see maybe not a reprint, but we'll see games get redone. I mean, the next war series is based on an older game. Uh, Barlev, which is a game I've talked about, is based on an older game. So I know some designers that are working on, they wouldn't call them reprints, but I don't know. They're, they're kind of modernizing the rules, cleaning up some orders of battles and things like that, and republishing games with the same name, but there are new editions of the game. So, Or a new edition of the game with a different name because they couldn't get the rights to the name. Yeah, you, you know. yeah it's possible, too. Because you can't copyright uh, game mechanics, which I find fascinating to me, you know. But whatever. Anyway. <clears throat> the, 
the next thing he had was digital porting. Now, this really blew my mind and really, really got me thinking. Now, he, he's not talking about Vassal or Tabletop Simulator. He does kind of uh, throw some shade at uh, Command & Colors Ancients. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's on my... On, on, it was pretty bad. Yeah, on my wish list on uh, yeah. Steam, and I checked it on the sale, and I'm like, eh, I'm like, I actually think I bought it, but I haven't played it. I well, did because that's one of the games I own, and it's it's toward the top of the list of games that I own, and I wish I could play more. So I bought it online, thinking, oh, maybe I'll get to play more this way, and it's it's not very good. So, but that is an excellent point. The, the ability to play it more and especially for people like me who have you know one to none actual people that would be interested in in wargaming on a regular basis never mind the fact that i can just you know hop in my office or anytime i have a computer whatever and actually play this thing is digital porting is fantastic to me i've spent a lot of time lately thinking about like the different advanced squad leader clones for lack of a better word um i don't even know what you would call that i don't think it's an actual genre yeah there's there's one what's it called it's called like panzers I, on the hunt or something like that i i mean it's it's like uh squad level historical gaming basically in world war ii and, the, and at, for the board games there's so many of them there it's started with advanced squad leader and you know lock and load has their own um right you're just talking about board games i'm yes, talking yes. about if there's an actual digital game and I, I know and maybe tigers on the hunt or panzers on the hunt right. or something like that where it's it's literally just asl and i mean it's not exactly but it it really is asl as a video game well the point i'm trying to make is like out of all of these, uh, Panzer Grenadier is one. Uh, gosh, there's so many of them that I think the ones that would make a digital version have a better chance of surviving. And that's what we're seeing in his digital porting here. Lock and Load Publishing apparently is leading the way. You can currently buy Tank on Tank Eastern Front and Western Front. And they are working on their own Tactical and Nations of War series. And that just blows my mind that it is available. And later on, uh, in the next section, I think we're going to talk about... I will talk about playing Heroes of Normandy on uh, Steam and what that means. So I really think anybody that is looking to go forward in the future to be successful, if you're doing digital porting, yeah, that's that's the better thing. Yeah, you know, you were asking me, I think, on Twitter a few days ago about um, it was a computer war game. I don't remember which one it was, oh, but that that we're going to talk about that in a minute. Yeah, because I ended I mean, up I buying think, it. Did you? Yes, I did. So, I I just I really have an interesting sort of relationship with these computer video games because I want to like them, and I want to like them for all of these reasons that we talked about. For you know, sometimes being able to play solitaire and just being able to play more, but even playing with other people. Um, in which, I, you know, I like Vassal. I like playing Vassal email and live and everything. But the one thing that most, maybe even all of these computer war games, is they just, I've always been disappointed in them. And that's not to say that they're all bad, because some of them are okay for one reason or another. And I do play them every now and then. But they they just don't scratch that itch 
of sitting down and playing a game on cardboard. And it's not just the face-to-face, because I would rather play a cardboard game solitaire than play a computer war game. And I, I really don't know why that is. I haven't figured out what they're missing. But I'm hoping that they'll get there someday. Ah, for me, for me, it's a little different, and I'll get to that in just a second. But uh, I think the uh, the bad the guy list. I remember we're stealing this from Wargamer.com. Oh, I'm sorry, we're borrowing it. We are paraphr- <laughs> we are paraphrasing. We're publicizing their article. We are paraphrasing their article and footnoting it, so it's all legal. <laughs> uh, anyway, he mentions the death of Richard Harvey Berg, Ghostberg, as he is known to us in chance of gaming now and uh yes little ghost guy with a yeah. mustache what I, I don't know what when he published this but i'm surprised i mean richard berg wasn't publishing things anymore but chad jansen still was so chad jansen i think probably hit people a lot closer to home that is true I, he published this on uh, december 24 so yeah still yeah. chad jensen had already died by then yeah but i guess i would argue that chad jensen just did like combat commander as for wargaming and oh man people are going to be mad at me and yelling forever now <laughs> but uh i will say yeah i mean yes listeners please understand we're not trying to say which is a bigger loss yes in the community. No, we're no, not no, 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 debating no. two human lives uh, no um, no I, i'm just but yeah chad jansen was probably more familiar to people currently whereas richard borg is obviously in an icon of the industry. That's what it was. It was that because yeah. he did. It mentions like Campaign of North Africa. You know the game mentioned in uh, that dumb game, that dumb TV show that I don't watch. And <laughs> um, yeah, and yeah, just just some other stuff. So there's that. But whatever. Uh, his next point in the article was the astronomical cost, and I kind of thought that was really interesting uh you know just to buy into board gaming and the real reality is is you know you're starting people are actually starting to go like well what is the environmental impact i of, mean of board gaming nowadays i i guess but how many people buy a 300 dollars xbox and then pay 60 bucks a game and buy 10 games you know or more. I mean, that's, yeah. that's very, very true. I think there's a lot of people that are spending a lot more on Xbox and PlayStation than they are on board games. So Now, he mentioned Bill Hull's Musket and Pike series. I was not familiar with this one. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I'm not familiar with that either, so I thought it was an interesting example oh, to pick. But... shit. I will... Oh, damn it. Not... I was going to say, like, oh, man, GMT's got Under the Lily Banners on sale for $35. Oh, it's out of stock. <laughs> damn it. <laughs> That's apparently part of this. I will say the only Musket and Pike series I could think of was from, um, you know, uh, Tom and Mary over there. So, yeah, yeah, and that's I think we when we talked to him we sort of mentioned that was I think that's their most expensive game too. Yeah, it was, but even then it wasn't that expensive. But to buy all of this guys, never mind the fact that a lot of it was out of stock, was three hundred seventy seven dollars. Eh, you know, I'd also argue who buys direct from blah, 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 and yeah, you could save money and da, 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 whatever. I, I don't think really cost because it's a niche hobby and any company that's going to stay around like GMT is going to do the P500 system. Whereas yeah. like, I'm not even going to print this game, reprint this game until, you know, 500 of you assholes commit to it. So, you know, I, I think we're okay with that. Uh, I mean, yeah. 
I mean, we're, we're just talking like war games, because I mean that's even a, that is a niche in a niche. Board gaming is a very niche hobby. War games in board gaming is an even smaller niche. It's the small, you know, just a bunch of you know a few thousand weirdos all across the world that are that are into this. We love it, and it's this whole thing, and yeah, it's it's still different. But yeah, they'll do it. You're right, absolutely. You know, it's like you didn't have a, you know, a uh, Xbox. You weren't interested in one until you won one. But you know, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you just kind of bought the thing. Yeah. Now it does mention in here. It's like you want to buy the final Ultimate Edition of Australian Design Group's World in Flames. Compass Games will sell it to you for two twenty nine, or you could get it in digital for a hundred. Right now, it's on sale for twenty. That's what I did. <laughs> Yeah, twenty bucks. That is that is not much money for all that that game offers. The, if it's worth it, but again, if it's just going to be disappointing to me, and if it's just going to be something that I never play, then that's not worth twenty bucks either. So, well, I tell you, I was like, you know, this interests me because it's digital, and I can play via email and all this stuff, and it's a mega game. My main thing is, is I don't have to set up this gigantic freaking map. Right. In a room with no cats, no kids, no nothing, you know, it will exist virtually. And I actually spent the extra 30, 20, 30 bucks for the physical rule books. The, 552 pages? Yes. <laughs> that, are, that are coming, being shipped from Australia, I guess. And so, yeah, I could actually play the actual physical board game if I had it. So huh. I'm, I'm just interested. It, at that Can point, you play against another person online? Because maybe we'll play against each other. That's what it's supposed to be when you buy yeah. it digitally, is you can put multiplayer with yeah. it. So, and yeah, I, for 20 I, bucks, I'm very tempted in that. I guess so. my only really complaint about it is is and this is the main damn problem with a lot of these games. Not all of them because people like Lock and Load and stuff like that are actually doing a really good job, but it looks like it was designed on Windows 98. <laughs> it's like we <laughs> That's it's, true. It, yeah. it's like, you know, all our menus and graphics we did, you know, for yeah. Windows 98. I mean, that's every John Tiller game looks like that. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 and the John Tiller, I think he's actually having a sale right now. I'll try to link that in the show notes. I think it's 20% off or whatever. But I actually poked my head in over there. I'm like, yeah, these games look like they were designed on Windows 95. And I'm like, you're not charging me $30 for this when it should be $5 on Steam or something. Eh, whatever. Anyway. Uh, the next point Wargamer.com makes is like the decline and fall. Eh, maybe? I don't know. It's like you. I kind of. I, I kind of think it's, it's, hard, it's not going to go. It's away. hard to say they're declining because it seems like it's better than it's ever been right now. I yeah. mean, we talk about like sort of the glory days of Avalon Hill in the seventies and into the eighties, but I think the industry is stronger now than it's ever been. So, I have no facts to back that up. That's purely just my observations and feelings. So it yeah, does. It fight, does seem that way. Me. And with any hobby, I absolutely encourage you to. Be open, friendly, and patient with anybody that is interested in your hobby. Whatever it is, if it's macrame to, you know, I don't know, rock carving, whatever it is, that some young person could come in and buy you like, oh, gee, Richard, can you show me how to play this? 
you just be... So yeah, just like be a decent human being. Just yes. I mean, yeah, we I hate we have to say that, but yeah, that's it. Is, <laughs> is be patient, kind, and stuff like that, and you will have the next generation. I'm into a lot of it, different esoteric type hobbies, and I can't tell you how many of them are a lot. It's just full of old dudes that are like, this th- this hobby can die with me, and I don't care. And that's just wrong. You know, you've got to you've got to plant that seed for the next generation. So, uh, the next thing was historical miniatures wargaming. Finally, something I could talk about. The first point is Flames of Warhammer. Uh, yeah, that's awesome that Flames of War is big, it's going, and uh, as a long-time player, me and, like he mentions in here, a lot of people, hours of online arguments on the issue, don't like the fact that the rules have been dumbed down. But... yeah. But it is what it is, and and that's not the only system out there. If you want something that's hyper realistic, you don't. It's there. I can't tell you what it is because I'm. But it somebody has already made everything that you want. So if you don't like Flames of War, instead of complaining about Flames of War, play something different. I'm sure you can go do like uh, Command Decision, where you get all the freaking charts that you ever wanted and stuff like that. So. I really think coming up in 2020, I'm going to embrace Flames of War and just for what it is, because there's a spark in my area and guys want to play it. And yeah, and I'm just going to move forward. That's what I'm going to do. Now, he mentions non English designs. Look, that's all I'm used to. It's, it's, I, <laughs> I'm utterly surprised when somebody makes something in the US, Wargaming. I don't know if they get like special tax incentives in Europe or whatever, but it seems like every freaking thing. That it's like, oh, there's a new game coming out. Oh, yeah, it was designed in Portugal or the UK or wherever. It just seems like always to be that way. He mentions the uh, Art de la Guerre, ancient rules converted over to the Napoleonic rule set for uh, Batille Empire. I'm very interested in that whenever it comes over. Uh, he mentions uh, the digital crossover. Now, this really got my attention and is really something I need to do. He makes the point of the, Richard Budley Scott, the guy that wrote Flames of Glory, wrote a second one direct for gaming, for digital gaming online. And there's a whole tournament system and all this different stuff out there. And honestly, man, that's what Adam Chance needs to be doing. Because he can never get these games locally. He needs yeah. to spend his time on Field of Glory 2. He owns it. It's well rated. It's done. It's great. And yeah, like you guys says here, he's like, what am I going to do? He actually mentions, he's like, I have six full ancient armies sitting on the shelf waiting never for paint. However, I it, can play live ancient miniatures without having to do squat. So The only thing I would say to this, though, is that if you're talking about hex encounter versus tabletop miniatures, there's more of a drop off in the digital world for digital for miniatures. If you've got miniatures on the table, they have a look and they have an aesthetic to them um, that is very different from what you're going to see on a computer screen. Whereas a hex encounter game, it doesn't look that much different. You know what I mean? I got you. And uh, Field of Glory. Uh, two, one and two. There, it's not. It's a miniatures game, and it's not hex encounter. It's it was one where we had to measure, you know, point from this to this. And look, right now as we speak, it's twelve dollars. Twelve on, bucks on, on Steam. Steam. 
yeah. I encourage yeah. you, if you've ever been interested in miniature gaming, this will scratch an itch for you. Uh, okay, you, well, you know you, what you did? You just cost me 12 bucks. Yeah, I know. Just, it get right it, now. just get it, play it, and, uh, you know, you'll see. This is very much, it is so well rated and well thought of because the guy that wrote the rules for it. And if you really like this, you can get a printed copy of the rules and actually play a uh, physical version of it if you want to. But I know, like, Matrix Games and Slytherin, they host tournaments and stuff like that. I This is what I need to be doing. This is this is really what I need to be doing. And it, it's kind of just inspired me, you know, moving forward. So, yeah, I, I, yeah. I've got to do that. This, this is why I hate listening to podcasts, because it makes <laughs> me buy more things. And now my own podcast is doing it, too. So. I know. I know. It, <laughs> it, it happens. But Steam has an error updating my transaction, so maybe... Wah, wah. Maybe... Maybe I shouldn't. Yeah. No, I'm going to keep trying. He, he mentions the bad as the graying of the hobby. And, uh, I mean, yeah, that's true. Like I said, if you're interested so, in this hobby continuing, is always encourage younger people, any new person. They don't have to be young. They could be some dude that's 60 that just suddenly woke up one day and decided he wanted to get into Ancients Gaming yeah. or, or ASL, whatever. You have got to encourage that. I mean, I think this goes hand in hand. What we're talking about the financial thing before, too, though, is, I mean, I know from personal experience and other people have seen the same thing. When you get to a certain age, 45, 50, whatever, you know, depending on your kid's age and everything, you start to have more expendable income. So the graying of the hobby kind of goes along with, can I afford a bunch of board games or miniatures and time and stuff like that i mean when, when you have young kids that's pretty much all you do is is take care of young kids yes. as they get older you have more time and money often they they take all my money <laughs> 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 i know like i said there's the first ones in college and it's starting to be like huh, well, what do we turn her room into <laughs> where do we want to move to we want to buy another house what are we going to do uh uh the guy talks about storefront decline. That's very true, especially in the, that's a big one. Yeah, in the historic area, more than anything, I would argue there is a storefront decline. Uh, board games are in a renaissance right now. So are comic books. You know, people are they seem to be doing really well. It's kind of back to like 1990s level almost. But historical games, yeah, it's you are a niche inside a niche so i mean and that's really important to remember so yeah i hate to see these big historic like i like i i mentioned my friend bob's hobby house in pensacola florida they've been around for like 30 40 years and all of a sudden they're closing up shop you know yep. it's it sucks but i don't know you never quite know what's going on there in the background I always argue against stores just being like, well, everything in here is retail price or, you know, whatever. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I, I don't know. I just know you have to change and adapt for the year 2020. You have to, you have to discount, you have to promote, you have to do whatever, you know. You have I, to give people a reason to come into your store. Yes, you have to be friendly. You have to any <laughs> anytime like gaming cancer pops up in your in your store, you better put that fire out really fast. Because yeah, it's it's a whole thing. I mean, I do not envy anybody that runs a store. I don't because it seems like so many so much juggling you have to do. 
in, in order to get things done right, you know. But uh, uh, the next point was 3D printing. Absolutely, I have always said that that will be really problematic for. To me, it's problematic for shitty companies like Games Workshop because you know they're going to have to deal with bootlegs and all that stuff, and that is absolutely what they're doing right now. Yeah, is, is having to deal with that stuff. Uh, if so you, how do they do they deal with that by basically not allowing you to do tournaments with your own stuff? Is that how they deal with it? Because um, I know tournaments. <laughs> Are, are a big reason people play because they want the sort of official competition, you know, to test their metal rather than just casual play. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Uh, that That's a huge thing. And that's also a huge argument, like, with me. <laughs> I think later on in this article it talks about, like, as you get older, you move into historical gaming. And I'm like, no, you don't. In my experience, it's like you just become a bigger dickhead in the 4K scene, <laughs> you know? It's, 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 I mean, that's just me being bitter from years ago, having to deal with this stuff. And it's like, yeah, it's like you should. I know personally I felt like when I got older, I'm like, I need something more tactical, more satisfying, more <laughs> realistic. And so I moved into historical gaming. Um, but yeah, it's 40 K and all that is, is, is still there, but yeah, with 3d printing, I know a lot of, okay. Any world war two tank axis or allies is public domain either because it was like, it's, it's legally considered, Do you mean, you mean the physical shape and model? Of yes. The, the physical shape and model is, is public. Well, yeah, domain. How, I mean, how can you, how can you copyright? Uh, the shape of a vehicle. Well, it's they they don't, and so that's the thing. If you have a three D printer, you could three D print your entire Flames of War force or your sure. entire bolt action force or whatever. Yeah. Maybe not the. I mean, for that matter, though, you can three D print a guy wearing ancient armor or a guy wearing Absolutely. a World War II outfit with a machine gun or whatever. Absolutely. Because, so yeah. it, it's become like it's become the the rule set. It's become like uh, you're selling the experience. You know the uh, they they try to police that a little bit, but you know we were talking about bootlegs. The reality is is you've got to be some kind of fucking expert on resin or something to be able to tell that somebody even has a bootleg, whatever. <laughs> Unless they're dumb enough to be like, oh, I paid $20 for this or, you know, whatever. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. It's I think companies like GW will suffer from it. And I don't really think they're suffering hard. I think, you know, the people that are bootlegging the, the big items, the big expensive items, they don't have enough money to actually buy those items anyway. So it's it's no it's not really a loss to them. Maybe I'm wrong. But um, I mean, other companies, I just don't see it. I don't. I don't see them actually suffering from it. But eh, I don't know. But it is the wave of the future, and maybe that'll be a thing where GW or whoever is like, "I'm going to sell you the St. Louis file for this <laughs> tank, and you just print it yourself at a discounted price, whatever." But I don't know. It's just really, really neat. I know digital distribution is getting there, but to me, and I don't know if I'm the norm or not, is I'm cheap when it comes to digital distribution. I don't think it could, it, it, when we're talking like rule books or whatever, I don't think it should cost anywhere near what the physical book costs. 
because I cannot, re I can't resell it. I can't loan it to anybody. It does not have any value. Not to mention, it did not cost you anything to make a copy of it to sell it to me. So that's just kind of like where I'm at with that. So anyway, I guess that is the entire Wargamer.com year in 2019 review that we uh, cribbed. So. Alright, so I think the final thing I wanted to mention in 2019 was episode 41, our last episode. It um, went really far. There were lots of retweets and likes and all that good stuff, and people seemed to really like our interview. I get a little annoyed with the, um, oh yes, the interview starts at blah 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 and blah blah blah. So you don't have to listen to them. You don't listen to the rest of the garbage. <laughs> so you don't. You don't have. It goes from like point this to this. So you don't have to listen to them talking about Kid Rock and Michigan. You so. know what you should do is, yeah, tweet out the episode, which actually we've had people ask before for you to put timestamps on. But tweet out the episode and say we talk about weather at the six minute mark. I know you're all going to want to jump on that. <laughs> the Kid Rock discussion begins in, at eight eight thirty two, and so that's where you want to start. So there you go. <laughs> all right but yeah it was just neat I, I was really impressed people apparently really wanted to hear people talk about that that guy talk um so yeah anyway so uh moving on to actual christmas and like what we got or what we spent our money on um for myself i spent uh some like i said on world in flames i i ordered that and like i said i ordered uh Heroes of Normandy, which was on Steam. I actually looked at that, and even though I hate the artwork on that, this is a really well-thought-of system that people really like for squad-level World War II, and um, now that it is available with the cards that are available in the physical version, people really like it. So this is something that I should probably play more. And I'm going to try to, because this is what I want. You know, I want to be able to do a squad level board game or, you know, ASL, you know, anything, anything like that. So this, this is it. So, yeah, um, I'm definitely hoping to do that more in the future. And I think the only other thing I spent my money on is Warlord Games has been doing their um, Bad Santa christmas sale and it's been freaking ridiculous it's been like uh half off of stuff and they will ship free over a certain point so i put in an order for a bunch of various stuff from them so that's what i've been uh buying so uh i guess past that i got you guys for christmas the battletech starter set have you guys opened it up? Take a look at it. Anything? I have yes. opened it. I haven't played it yet. I uh, so I showed it to my ten-year-old and I said, "Hey, Evelyn, what do you think about this?" She said, "Well, that looks kind of cool." So we'll we'll have to uh, to have some big ass fighting robots between the two of us. It's uh, I mean it's really good. This was my first real board game. My first real miniature game. Too, uh, and I am a hex uh, purist for Battletech because you can play it 3D, like 40K, if you want to. Mm -hmm. uh, you just have to use like your base has to be hex shaped because your fire arcs come from that. I am a purist. I I play on the maps that are available, and I'll post 
a link in the show notes is like, so you got this for Christmas. Here's how you can expand on it. Because this is a really big game, if you want it to be. If you really want to get into it. Basically, it's, it's a hex encounter game about big robots driven by people. They're called mechs. And, uh, yeah, fighting one another. There are several different timelines that you can play in which gives you better or worse um, equipment. I, as a purist, I play in the 3025 era, which is when the game first started, and it's like things used to be great, and now they're not. So our stuff sort of works, so we really have to worry about heat and you know all this different stuff. And uh, I also like the clan invasion, which was a big point in which I jumped in with both feet into the game at 3050. Past that, you can go uh, the distant pass when everything was great from like uh, 2571, which was like the Star League, and or way into the future at 3150, which was the Dark Ages when things got bad again. I, I'll post this link in the show notes, just whatever you want to do. But you guys have the just the starter set. Did they come with like two mechs? It, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, two, two figures. And yeah. It, and then there's there some least, little stand-up things. Yeah, at least one map in there, and there was like a like a little fiction book in there too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, it has a really great background, and you can get into it as far as you want to get into it. You know, you can like me. I only play like one uh, particular era, you know, and whatever. You have different factions that you can get into and play, and it's it's all as far as you want to get into it. But uh, to me. I mean, if you guys really like the starter, the next thing would buy the bigger box set, and that'll get you little eight little guys and a bunch more maps and stuff. And you, I think you'll really like it because it's it's a board, it's a hex encounter board game basically. You just have the little plastic or metal figures mm-hmm. on it, and yeah, I've heard it best described as it is a game of on two d six. I need a 12 to hit you, and you need a 13 to hit me. Which <laughs> means you can't. Yeah, it's it's all about like stacking modifiers. Uh, that's really important. Uh, you know, you want to have an advantage over shooting. At, uh, I also love the fact that it's every turn we roll for initiative. I really dig that. It's not I go, you go. Every single turn we roll for initiative. So... I could be doing really well shooting you, and if I get initiative again, well then, yeah, it's probably that's that's it for you. So, um, the game on Steam currently, uh, BattleTech, simply just BattleTech, it plays exactly like the physical game, and uh, if you want to, you can play it. Uh, uh, Richard, it's thirteen dollars and fifty nine cents. Stop. 66% off. Oh. So you can really get a feel on like how to play the game. It has a really good story. I backed it on Kickstarter and have been playing it since. And actually picked up some of the uh, the uh, expansions on this particular sale. And, you know, stuff always goes on sale on Steam. 
And the only other yeah, thing... Put it on your wish list to wait till you get an email. Yeah. But 66%, it's not going to get much better than that. It'll probably, <laughs> it may go to 75, maybe 80 eventually, but 66 is pretty good. I generally buy at 50 for sure, or impulse buy. The only other thing, recently MechWarrior 5 came out, Mercenaries, and it's in, and it, it is a first-person shooter where you're actually driving it. and mm-hmm. and But it's... You know, it's full price right now. I think there's a $10 coupon that you can get on the Epic Games Store. Uh, but right now, yeah, it's $49.99, so you'd be paying $39.99. So, I don't know. It's just an idea if you really wanted to kind of test things out, and whether you like the whatever, you know. But, yeah, I grew up with this, and this is mm-hmm. all. I love this so much, but, yeah. I well, highly... I remember playing uh, MechWarrior 2. Yes! And just oh, loving yes. the hell out of it. Oh, my gosh. That brings back so many memories. The fact that um, my friend and I played Mech Warrior, the first one, and then mm-hmm. waiting like five years or something like that for Mech Warrior Two to come out, we were just like, "Oh my gosh, is this ever going to come out?" And this now was, is that the is that the RPG you're talking about? Uh, it's no, a, it's... it was PC game. Oh, yeah. okay, okay. It was a PC game, and we, you know this is pre-internet, so you're just having to read about it in magazines and stuff, and just, <laughs> and just be like, "Oh man, what, when is this ever going to come out?" Ooh, you know, look at this, look at the screenshot, look how cool this looks, you know. So yeah, that was a whole thing way back then. And when MechWarrior 2 launched, it was an enormous uh, success. Everybody went out and bought it, and yeah, it's just kind of gone from there. But to get a feel again for the tabletop game by BattleTech on Steam, it plays exactly like it. You know, only you don't actually roll for initiative because the game does that behind the scenes as to whether or not you go first or them. But yeah, I love that game. I love it so much. Uh, I mean, it has its issues. If you really want to get into rules, it it has them. You have a rule for hitting someone with a tree that you uprooted that is on fire. That's like three <laughs> different rules right there. If you wanted to, if you're playing the advanced rules, you can whack somebody with a flaming tree and what it does, what you have to roll. But yeah, I dig it. You know, and so yeah, since you guys like board games, I thought that might work really good. So I'm very curious to see how you what you think about it going forward. If you give it a shot, and yeah. So, well, <clears throat> yep. Thank you, Adam, for that. <laughs> Not a problem. I yeah. This is really really cool. So, right. Rich, uh, you would you get some things for Christmas? I did. I got the BattleTech Beginner Box, which we obviously just talked about. But mm. um, I got a game called Pax Perferiana, which is a game I played before but did not own. It's it's out of there was like a special edition. I don't know if it's kickstarted or what, but. In any case, I didn't get it, and it's out of print, so it's kind of hard to find. But um, it's it's a great little hard. I guess you would call it a tableau builder. And there's a, a newer version called Pax Pamir, not a newer version, a newer game in the series called Pax Pamir that just came out last year. A lot of people are talking about it. I've played Pax Pamir and I played Pax Perferiana. I really like Pax Perferiana, so I got that one. That that's an amazing game that I'm can't wait to get on the table soon. And then I got a couple BCS games. Those are MMP games, uh, the Battalion Combat Series. I got The Last Blitzkrieg, which is about the Battle of the Bulge. And I got Brazen Chariots, which is a North Africa game. So, um, yeah, BCS and OCS are two systems that I've been wanting to get into. So I'm definitely going to be diving into BCS 
probably in the next month or so after I play some next World Poland for a while. And apparently the last Blitz, Blitzkrieg is a 1959 World War II film, so... Probably there is, there yeah. There you go, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Roy, you talked about your Christmas presents, right? Yes, I did. I didn't really... <clears throat> I didn't really buy that many uh, board games this year what did you or, or receive any. Well, uh, let me ask you guys this. Like, well, what did you guys get if it wasn't like gaming related? Just curious. Well, I got this cool kick-ass microphone. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, oh, I don't know. Cash, I guess. I got a uh, new uh, sound bar for my television. Ooh, fancy. So, <clears throat> Yeah. Rich, you get anything cool that you want to talk about? So you know. No, uh, besides the games, I mean, we got some cash, and my wife and I got each other the the TV that we're, uh, you know, watching Disney Plus on every day now. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, so I guess we won't mention any spoilers. But if you are you guys caught up with the Mandalorian? Hey, if you're not up caught up with the Mandalorian, that's your own fault. That's been out so, for like four days now. So is this uh, episode eight? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I know I have not watched it yet. Our, our, uh, <laughs> so we got. Uh, I personally, Santa Claus got me Fallout Four. Um, Yay! And so cool. Oh, nice. The we update about for that last time. What's that? We talked about that last time, and I bought it on Adam's suggestion. Oh, okay. Yeah. Had time to play it yet? Okay. Well, the update for it was nine gigabytes, so yeah. that <laughs> that kind of uh, killed my uh, uh, my monthly allowance of data. So we're trying to. We're we're playing playing it kind of we're we're dialing back on the on the uh, how much bandwidth we're we're taking up so that we don't run over. So I I'm gonna wait a little bit before I watch it. Yeah, I haven't even like I said I got Fallout Four based on Adam's suggestion, uh, but haven't played it at all yet. Oh. So okay, oh, cool. so yeah. um, Mandalorian. This is episode eight. Is that the last of the season then? Yep. It is. And okay. they just I think yesterday announced that the next one will be up the next season will start next fall. So it'll be a while. So I happened to listen to another podcast called uh Imaginary Worlds, which I mentioned before. Yeah. And uh the episode that I was listening to, he was talking about the Star Wars Christmas special. Yeah. Yeah. And kinda kinda breaking that all down. And apparently John Favreau wants to remake it. For Disney so, Plus, so that it would actually be good. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, hey, I, if I think I'm on board with that. To do it, I'm fully in support. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff there. There's B. Arthur's like torch song and <laughs> um, <laughs> a, a coked out Carrie Fisher and yeah. So. Yeah, I've seen some of it. I think the whole thing is available on YouTube, but honestly, I couldn't even watch the whole thing. It's just too bad. The animated thing, which actually introduced Bubba Fett, so. Mm-hmm. Right. I tell you, the weird thing is, I don't know when this aired or anything about it. In all my playground discussion growing up of Star Wars, I never encountered a single person that ever saw this. So it no, came I out. I didn't really hear about it until after, you know, internet days, really. It came out November 17th, which was a Friday evening. On CBS uh, in 1978, as I recall from the, the that episode. 
Damn. I w- okay, I was two years old. So, yeah, oh. of course, nobody I knew in my peer group ever watched this. So, mm-hmm. okay. That, that now, makes Adam, sense. I did hear you say Bubba Fett a little bit ago, and I just imagined <laughs> the Mandalorian helmet and some overalls with no shirt on. Yes, bu- it's Bubba Fett. <laughs> He's, he lives down in Mississippi. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he ha- he, you have to keep the helmet on because that's the way, but, you know, you wear, you wear the overalls. So... There you go. Wow. I wonder if it, I no, I think it only aired that one time and never repeated. Yeah, so no. anyway. Uh yeah, so in this that episode of uh The Mandalorian, you'll find out Snape kills Dumbledore. So Oh. Damn it. There you go. Spoiler alert. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Alright, so moving on to what's on your radar and this first damn thing. The minute I read this title, I was like, yeah, we got to talk about this. (laughs) Shut up and take my money. I know. This is a game coming out from Evil Hat Productions. It's called Thirsty Sword Lesbians. (laughs) It's, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, they're actually playtesting this uh, through February of next year. Thirsty Sword Lesbians battle the Lady of Chains when her enforcers march down from the frosty north. They rocket through the stars to safeguard diplomats, I read that as dolphins, ending a generations-old conflict. Even when swords are crossed, they seek peace with their opponent and sometimes connect more deeply than anyone expects. A sword duel can end in kissing. A witch can gain her life power from spirit lovers, and an entire campaign can be built around wandering matchmakers flying from system to system. So... It's got a little bit, got a little thick, a little bit for everybody. There you go. It's so down it, under there under game information. It says age of players thirteen plus. Yeah, there you go. I think it should just say thirteen though. <laughs> I think this is just for thirteen year olds. Well, yeah, I, and I think that would work either way for guys or girls. You know, the girls could take it seriously, and the guys could be really dumb with it. And yeah, so yeah, thirsty sword lesbians coming. Sounds soon. saucy. Coming soon from. Evil Hat Productions. <laughs> I mean, come on, well, they're gonna sell. They're gonna sell it based on that alone. So, um, the next thing was something I, that has already come out and uh, sold out, and uh, just discovered on Twitter. A guy named uh, Jason Dinger lives in Louisiana, and did a game called Captains of the Gulf, which is about shrimp boats in the Gulf of Mexico in the fifties. And I was like, wow, that is really, really cool. Because uh, it's very, very local. Mississippi mm-hmm. has a huge uh, shrimping industry. Interestingly enough, it is done... The I would argue that our shrimping industry is mostly made up of Vietnamese immigrants that came over post-Vietnam. Yeah. So yeah, it's just just kind of thing. Uh, there's couple, been a couple of documentaries about it, but yeah, it's it's the whole thing. But yeah, this is just really neat to me. I think looks like I can get it on Board Game Geek for like sixty five dollars because it's out of print. They don't know when it's going to be reprinted, but I just thought it was neat. And I probably need to interview this guy since he's a local. So there you go. Uh, the next thing was, I don't know if we've ever talked about this, but it's been on sale at Miniature Market, and it has such a strange name, I tossed it on here. The Little Land, The Battle for Novorisk... 
<laughs> yeah, I mutilated that one. Just Novorossis. Novorossis. Yeah. You know, what What do you think, Richard? Have we talked about this? This is an X Encounter game. No, we haven't. I've seen this on the shelf up there, but I... Uh, I mean, I'm sure I've, I've taken it off the shelf and looked at it, but it's hasn't hasn't really been on my radar or something I wanted to pick up. So it's by Adam. It's a compass game. Yeah. So Adam's... two things I can tell you right off the bat are it's got a nice looking mat, map and it's expensive. Yeah. Adam Starkweather Ooh. is the um, designer. I don't know really anything about that. Boy, that sounds like yeah. an alter, uh, superhero alter ego. Adam Starkweather. Yes. <laughs> or yeah, he's like a definitely a leading man in like a seventies TV show for sure. Yep. I don't know. I On see. Days of Our Lives. Yes. And the role of whatever will be played by Adam Starkweather today. Uh, yeah, uh, it's on sale at Miniature Market for ninety eight fifty, so it's like thirty bucks off. And it's also it's also subtitled Nemesis Volume One. So, yeah, it's a, it's a part of a, a new Compass series, but I don't know anything about the series either. I don't get Compass's emails or anything like that. And you know, I, we we since we were had a uh, developer, you know, or designer last week, Greg Blanchett. Um, that's a Compass game that he has out, and probably our next one will be Compass Two. But Compass did give us one of their. It was almost like an old fashioned catalog like a christmas catalog or something except it was one big huge sheet of paper that that <laughs> folded up so it folded up into like a four inch by maybe six inch piece of paper but when you unfolded the whole thing it was color printed on both sides it was probably three feet by two feet or something like Dad that it's huge yeah so i never get an email from them but i did sort of glance at their catalog well, I, I will say, Richard, since they're they're definitely listening right now to this podcast, <laughs> that they will uh, append that forthwith. Steve Compass is a listener. Yes, yeah, Steve Compass himself <laughs> will be like, get Richard a copy of The Little Land, Battle of Nosferatu. You know the the name of Steve's daughter? Steve Compass? What is Steve Compass's daughter's name? Rose. Rose Compass. Ah, okay. <laughs> that's good that's good well uh, thank you um, yeah it, according to this is February 4th through the 9th 1943 Stalin had been unhappy with the progress of the North Caucasus front on Krasendor and impatient to see more success he ordered General Ivan Petrov commander of the Black Sea Group of Forces it literally says that Black Sea Group of Forces to break the stalemate by a surprise invasion from the Black Sea so, yeah, and his stuff went wrong, and yeah, it's a company-level battle on the Eastern Front. So, there you go. I don't know. It's, yeah, never heard of it. Weird name. If it goes deeper on sale, maybe I'll be interested. And, uh, yeah, so, uh, and I guess the only other thing, oh, yeah, was the Compass Games Combat Series, which is a basically... Uh, that's a solitaire game. Yeah, it's a squad leader kind of solitaire game. It's man-on-man -man combat solitaire. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know. It's also $139. I expect a lot out of a board game for $139. Yeah, I mean, it's a compass game. Compass games are expensive. I don't... Well, I, 
let, let I, me... I've said many times I don't understand how businesses get run and everything, but that's a lot of money for for a game. And um, I mean, I will say I I do own at least one, probably a couple Compass games, but the last one I bought was Bar Left, and it's got a ton of counters in there. So there's there's a lot in there, but that was not a hundred thirty nine dollar game. Bar Left was I think around a hundred, or I think I got it less than that for Miniature Market. I don't know what all is in here for $139, but that's a lot of money. Well, let me ask you this. Does it have mounted maps? I don't know. That, I mean, that That's the important thing. Now, this contains four game maps. And, yeah, if I'm paying $140, don't be giving me those crappy maps that I have to, like, put a sheet of, you know, plastic over to keep down. But I don't know. It needs to be mounted for sure. So, anyway. Oh, I actually did some research for your Xbox for yeah. turn-based games. Okay. Now, granted, we can't get any, there are no turn-based World War II games, but I did toss some on here that are kind of good. There's the XCOM series. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It used to, it was like a big that, yeah. It was a big thing in the '90s, and they kind of rebooted it and put out a sequel, and it's awesome. It's a squad-based, um, turn-based really cool thing like where your guys gain experience and all that stuff there's banner saga which i have not played but was recommended it is more of a norse type thing and it is um well they actually have a board game for it as well but the uh video game existed first and it is definitely turn-based uh valkyria chronicles Kind of a fantasy World War Two esque type thing. I don't think magic has anything to do with it, but I could be wrong. I have not played this one, but yeah, it seems to be. It's kind of like anime World War Two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like done. the uh, what was what was the one we had where it was like an Eastern Front game, but all the all the like the generals were like oh, anime Bar- characters wearing, wearing their. Barbarossa, the card card game, yeah, Yeah, so you end up with, like, Sexy Rommel or whatever. Yeah. I don't think that's in here, but it's definitely, it's it's anime World War II-esque. The next one was Wasteland 2. If you remember Wasteland, that came out shortly after or before the original Fallout. And so they put out a sequel, and it is a squad-based, turn-based type RPG uh, the next one was Wargroove, which was really recommended to me because uh, if you're looking for a turn-based type thing, although to me, I get turned off. The graphics look like it's on the original Nintendo yeah. or Super Nintendo. Maybe that won't bother you, but yeah, it's a fantasy thing. Um, oh, SteamWorld Heist was another one, and a lot of these you can actually get on... Uh, Steam itself, but yeah. you know, you know, we're talking about a console. I don't know anything about this one either, but it was recommended to me. And like I, like I mentioned before, the only one I could ever think of that would fit what you meant was called Dice and Dracu, and it came out on the original Xbox. And I'll post a link in the show notes. It's yeah, it's hex-based modern warfare gaming. So there you go. Cool. Anyway. On to news. Uh, we'll queue up Ray Stevens uh, for this one. This is a... Um, I found this absolutely like ridiculous. 
that um, a board game designer actually went on the people's court to win a thing and yeah so there you go you guys heard well, about the, the recipe this, game at all this was a uh, golden bell right <laughs> i don't think so yeah yeah it was this golden was, bell yes oh shit oh wow okay yeah we so that's yeah there's been some yeah i guess i don't want to i don't yeah, want to get mark myself in Gold, trouble mark goldner the founder of ceo of golden bell studios they've had their issues in the past oh yes so this oh. was from a they met on Kickstarter to come out to and wanted to be like, hey, you know, publish my game and yeah. Mm-hmm. Said the company sent her a contract asking her to give up half her copyright and full trademarks to her game in exchange Golden Bell financed the game and they would get a share of net profits. And yeah. Oh yeah, it talks about her being a notorious company. This is a pretty long article, and I'll link it in the show notes, but it's just amusing to me that board game justice was served out in the People's Court because I was very surprised that the People's Court was still on. I think the last <laughs> I heard from it was, what, Rain Man? Yeah, was like, you 15 know, minutes to Wapner. Yeah, 15 minutes to Wapner. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, the next thing I had was, uh, I rarely mention Warhammer, but... I mentioned uh, this because the next box game Age of Sigmar is doing includes the weird steampunk dwarfs that I own and think are kind of cool and should probably split this box set with somebody. So, there you go. It's between them and the Disciples of Zinch, which uh, I think that's the magic one. Yeah, because Slan Ash is the the weird sex one. So, uh, yeah. (laughs) It is. It's the weird sex god. You know, that, that's the whole thing when they're like, well, we try to keep this game family friendly, but sometimes we make... Sometimes we can't control ourselves. Yeah, some, sometimes <laughs> we make figures that have nipples. I don't know. In <laughs> multiple mouths and whatnot. So, anyway. Speaking of, um, I'm always interested in old school type gaming. Never played it, but just the idea of it sounds really appealing to me. Where, um, and I, because I never played D&D or anything at this time. I may have been too young or I just didn't know about it. But apparently during the early days of role-playing, it was more gritty in the sense that your characters died and it was difficult and whatever. Absolutely, yeah. So this is... Yeah, you could have a character, a level one character with one hit point. Wow. So this is uh, Old School Renaissance, like a censored boss, is available from Cothorlas Publishing. And this is free. And I have this linked in the show notes. And uh, the whole reason why it's free, it's part of a Kickstarter to get to draw attention to this Kickstarter. Chaalt Fuchsia Malaise? Look at me pronouncing all that stuff correct. It is an OSR D&D scenario that explores the world on a deeper level. It is an eldritch, gonzo, science, fantasy, post-apocalyptic adventure. So, yeah, that pretty much covers everything. Yeah, well, that's a lot of buzzwords. It really is. But 12 days to go, they wanted 2500 bucks. They have 7800 so it's successful. You can get the PDF for 10 bucks, which is... 
little high for me, but this is a Kickstarter. So you can get the print and the PDF for 30 of course not counting shipping, and yeah. I don't know. What is the meaning behind Fuchsia Malays? The After the Apocalypse, all but wiped civilization from the face of Chalt. Humanoids entered the squalid rat-eating phase. The Zoth <laughs> was discovered. A miracle substance worth a king's ransom in small quantities. What's it worth in large quantities? Nothing? Uh, yeah. So, yeah, more stuff. Zoth sucking machines and weird... Yeah, okay. If you like OSR, you're going to like this. Just going to toss it on there so you see. And... I guess the last thing I had, I kind of get disappointed when I miss, or I, and by say when I say miss, it means I didn't actually back um, Kickstarters like uh, Nemesis, which is out and was actually seen in the background of a South Park episode a few weeks ago, and yeah. Mm -hmm. So this is Sanct Sanctorum, the board game, and it is a sci-fi survival board game on... <clears throat> on Kickstarter, because where else would it be? They want $39,000. They have received $47,000. They have 17 days left to go. I mean, basically, this is a science fiction dungeon crawler. To start out, it's available in English and Spanish. And, uh, yeah, I just, again, kind of get turned off at the, the initial price. Because it's 70 euros, which is about 80 bucks, plus shipping. And I'm willing to bet shipping is going to be like 30 damn dollars. So mm -hmm. you're looking at like a $110 for this. All you get is the core box, uh, the depth vinyl, and unlocked core box stretch goals. So I don't know. Does this ever interest you guys, like the, the science fiction dungeon crawler? They all look the same to me. That's I mean, very, I, yeah. that's very true. They just—they all look like. I mean, they all look fine. And if if someone wanted to play this game with me, if if they owned it, I'd, I'd certainly give it a shot. But they just—they all look the same to me. That is yeah. a that is a very good point. Oh, uh, apparently we get the the soundtrack to this uh, <laughs> this board game. I don't know how that works. You get a soundtrack on vinyl that okay so let me so that's what that means i get the soundtrack on vinyl and the game for 80 but still doesn't sell it to me but um you're absolutely right richard they all look the same they all have like some kind of like undead um yeah what is that game that 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 game dead space where it's yeah. like some kind of zombie alien thing. They all have one of those. They all have like an evil robot thing. Or they have like some scary biological thing like a Tyranid or an alien. Or they may have like the the evil humans that are all dressed up like Mad Max. You're right. It's all the same. So, yeah. I don't know. I guess I don't want a record. So, <laughs> I don't want to buy it. They do have that little bird person guy. Looks kind of cool though, kind of cool miniature. Mm-hmm. And is that like they have like a little boy with a big gun? I don't think that's like a dude. It looks like a boy compared to the rest of them. So is that like Will Robinson with a gun? 
with the gun pointed up. Yeah. He does look awfully yeah, it's slight. Tapa Yaxian. So, yeah, that's Will Robinson in a mask with a gun. They have Bird Person, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm going to do a Kickstarter, and I'm not even going to let you guys know that it's me, but it's just going to be a bunch of weird, unpronounceable names, just so that I can hear Adam try to read them all. I know, you throw it, <laughs> you throw it on the damn thing, like, let's talk about this. <laughs> just silently laughing, like, ha, 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 ha. Can't pronounce shit. Look at this. I'm going to throw You'll get a Welsh guy to do it. I could never. I, I'm fascinated by uh, whales and their culture. Like, holy shit! Did you guys see the thing that made the rounds on social media about like the Welsh like Christmas thing? No. Mm-mm. All right. Hold on. I'm gonna live Google this and uh, post it in the show notes so we can we can all like enjoy enjoy it. It uh, yes, it is the um, it is a skeletal Welsh horse that like shows up at your house like this is around Christmas after Christmas something like that you have to beat him in a rap battle otherwise he comes in and drinks like all your booze so <laughs> this is the Mari Lurd, a horse skull that visits your homes around Christmas and you must best it in poetry or allow it inside so yeah you gotta beat it in a rap battle or he comes inside and drinks all your beer I mean, yes. This is. I'm like, this is an awesome country. Why can't I gotta go there? This is really, really cool. I yeah, it's a horse skull. I beat in a rap battle, or he drinks all my booze. So yeah, the modern that was, world. That was the beginning of Eminem's career. Yeah, was when he beat the the Murray Lewin. That's how it started. Yeah, he was. He just came over and he's like, no, 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 I got this. No, no, no. So yeah. Anyway. I'd love to know the first guy that did this. Some guy had a horse skull and showed up at his neighbor's house on Christmas uh, Eve. That's it's all a ploy to, to steal somebody's beer. I'm willing to bet alcohol was involved. Yep. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's what it is. Alcohol was involved. He's like, hey, you know, I'm gonna go. Be- I'm gonna go mess with my friend. Talk to you. Whatever how you pronounce their Welsh names. And uh, yeah, just goes over there and he's like, whatever. So there you go. All right, Dagom, are we at the end of the meaning of life? We've gone over two hours. It's a long thing, but I think the next episode we'll we'll kind of start out with like, what do we want to do in 2020? What's the state of the podcast? How we doing? Seems like is it every February that I that I run the um the GoFundMe to fund it for another year where I ask for a measly 150 bucks? I think that's right. I don't know. I don't, that's not I don't know. Right, because that's about when we started. So. Yeah, alright. So, wow, this is it. Okay. I hope this was a good follow-up to um, the show, and if you've come here seeking something now that Meeples and Miniatures is um, over with, I'm sorry. We're, we're nowhere near the same quality, but we try. And, uh, yeah. So I guess that's it. So we'll say goodnight. Good night, everyone. Good night.